Thank you so much, Jonathan, and good morning, everyone. My name is Nathan Nelson. I'm the pastor of Mission and Outreach here at Bethany, and it is a joy to be with you in this capacity this morning. Um, We are continuing in a series that was started last week by Jonathan called Teach Us to Pray. Last week, uh, Jonathan did a great job raising for us many questions that I think a lot of us bring to prayer. And uh, for warning, today we'll only probably bring more questions, Um, but that's okay. Uh, That's good for that matter. So this week, we're going to look at the rest of this first stanza of the Lord's Prayer, uh, which of course is, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And each week over the next several weeks, we'll be looking at the subsequent stanzas of the Lord's Prayer. But it starts here. It starts here. And it's, uh, it's a difficult text. It's a difficult text. And, and I'll talk a little bit more about why. So as we get started from the outset, would you join me in a posture of prayer? Lord, we do invite you in these moments, our Father in heaven, holy is your name to speak to us, to remind us of who you really are and the implications of that for us, Lord, your children, and who it is that we are. So God, we just trust that you will teach to us. You'll hold the places of our hearts that need it most this morning. Lord, minister to us through your word. Now we pray in your name, amen. Well, there's an outline for you in your bulletin in addition to that card that Jonathan referred with all kinds of wonderful Easter opportunities. May that not be lost upon us. But there's also an outline there for you. And there's gonna be three attributes of God that we're gonna look at. These are the three attributes that Jesus ascribes to God in this opening of the Lord's Prayer, how it is that we are to pray. So first, we're gonna look at God as our Father. Second, the one who is in heaven. And third, uh, one who is holy. Holy is your name. And along with each of those three is sort of a, 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 a part of a phrase that when put together, I've sought to sort of assemble in such a way that speaks to us about the significance of these three attributes of God for us, his children. And so that, as you'll see it there, is we are adopted into God's kingdom and we're being made whole. But before we go any further, I just want to name from the outset a certain tension that I feel even as I approach these few words um, from this short text. And, and maybe you feel the tension too. And that tension is that these attributes that are given to God are in many ways distancing. They're not intended to be, but because of the nature of the world that we're all immersed in, perhaps they are for you, as they certainly are for me. First, we have this notion of God the Father, which I'll say no more for now. Let's just watch this video. I think it says it pretty well. No, I am the Father. Search your feelings, you know it to be true. No! No! (laughs) Now, this might just be me, but that's honestly how I felt when I approached this text. No! 
why did you choose me? Eric Henderson, you son of a gun. Now, listen, some people have enjoyed truly good earthly fathers. And for each one of those instances, man, are we grateful, right? And there's others of us who've had challenging relationships with our earthly fathers, myself included. Some of us have suffered distant or broken relationships with our our fathers, even abusive or entirely absent fathers. And maybe that's true for you. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 18.4 million children in America, that's one in four children in America, live without a biological step or adoptive father in their home. Isn't that astounding? We have an epidemic of fatherlessness in our country. Now, if you expand that a bit more to the rest of the world, there are 153 million children living with at least one deceased parent or a parent who's entirely out of the picture, which in the vast majority of cases is the father. An epidemic of fatherlessness. And so that means that for at least one in four of us, it's very, very near and dear this challenge of understanding God as our good father. And for all of us, regardless of how good your father may be or have been, the reality is that we're all broken vessels. And so there's pain there for us. And so the question on the table is this, what does it mean for God to be, quote, our father? And how are we to recover this significance in our prayers? So that's one. Two, Heaven, this feels like an obvious one to me, but how many of you feel like you have a really good grasp on what heaven is like? Anyone been there? No? God is said to be in this place that we pretty much universally just agreed don't have the first clue what it's about. I can tell you maybe some things that I know from my seminary education and things like that, but at the end of the day, I've never been there. In my world, I, uh, I'm the pastor of mission here, right? So I, I, I receive a lot of people who are coming back from some, some form of a mission trip or another, and maybe you've experienced this, and you come back and you, you've had this experience and you try to communicate that with other people. Maybe you've been on a vacation that was like so amazing. You come back, you wanna communicate it with somebody else, and it's just so hard, right? Like at the end of the day, you just had to be there. This happened for my wife and I. Um, we recently got back from Antarctica and we've been you know, asked about it countless times and we try to communicate, this is what it's like and you just can't. You had to have been there. And so even this notion of God's location in a place like heaven can make us feel distant. And third, this idea of holy. Holy is your name. Uh, how many of y'all feel like you got a good grasp on holiness? Like if you had to define the term, you would like, you know, rest your life upon it. I remember in high school, um, I was on like a youth group retreat kind of a thing. And the youth pastor, he asked, um, what do y'all think holiness means? And the answers were amazing. Um, some of them were like, uh, maybe like morally superior, um, I remember I said something like, I don't know what it means, but it definitely makes me think of boring. Um, what is this 
this, this notion of holiness. Well, its literal meaning, of course, is set apart. But even in its literal meaning, right there, there's distance. If God is set apart, he's set apart in some way from us. And so it's tough, right? As we come to these three attributes of all the things Jesus could have attributed to God for how it is we are to pray, to relate with God, these are the three that are chosen. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. But here's the hope, friends. The profound, entirely reorienting truth that I believe is available to us in this first stanza of the Lord's Prayer. What these words really mean for us is this. That we are adopted into God's kingdom and we are being made whole. So that's why I've titled the message for today, Learning to Pray as God's Beloved Children. So you see, we're invited, friends, to recover the truth of who God really is as our holy, heavenly Father. And through prayer to experience intimacy in our, with our creator in such a way that transforms us evermore into the beloved children that we were created to be. Amen? So that's where we're headed. And it's gonna be a journey to get there. And I'll just warn you from the outset, it's gonna be a tough journey. Our first point for this morning, this first attribute of God, our Father, this notion that we are adopted. Let's go there. There's many names for God throughout the Bible, but interestingly, Father is Jesus's name for God in the Gospels. Repeatedly, we see Jesus referring to God as my Father or the Father. And in speaking with his disciples, he says, your father. And these possessive pronouns are important to pay attention to. Only in this verse, in this first stanza of the Lord's Prayer, does Jesus ever speak of, quote, our father. And so you see, our father is an expression that Jesus gives to you and to me. Now, why is this important? See, Jesus' relationship to God is unique, right? Only he is God's only begotten son. Only he is God's son by nature. He demonstrates the intimacy of his relationship with God when he uses this language of my father. And he demonstrates the absolute sort of authoritative nature of God when he says the father. So while Jesus is God's son by nature, the rest of us are God's children by adoption and in one sense or another by creation. But this is what's important to hear, friends, that we exist because of the father, not from the father as his only begotten son, Jesus is. And so you see, Jesus is God's son by right. He is the son. And what I want us to hear definitively today is that ultimately that is really good news. Really good news. See, therefore, when Jesus gives us the right to call his father by the address, quote, our father, he's passing on something of his priceless relationship to God to all of us. As we uh, believers are invited, even gently commanded to pray, our father, 
As we do that, we claim our identity as members of the family of God. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as like a father. For Jesus, God was not simply like a father. He was his father. And thus, he is your father and my father by virtue of God's choosing us, adopting us into his family. There's a great um, theologian who has a wonderful commentary on the book of Matthew, and he writes this. In this simple word, our, is the joy of the whole gospel. Don't you love that? I do. I love this. And, and I'm super intrigued by it. But to be honest with you, I struggle with it a lot. I struggle with it. I struggle to receive what it really means and then what it is that honestly I'm supposed to do with it. I shared with you at the outset that I have a bit of a sort of complex relationship with my own earthly father. Um, And I wanna share with you just a few points along that journey um, to the extent that it helps you maybe identify for yourself some of the smaller big ways that you too have experienced complexity, brokenness in your relationship with your father. I think if we go there, it's gonna allow us to recover or begin to recover who it is that God can be as our good father. So when I was um, really young, well, I should start with this. Never have I questioned if my dad loved me. Never question that. That alone is an immense privilege. But for sure, my whole life long, I've struggled with the reality that my dad, much of my life, struggled to show me that, to show me that love. When I was uh, 10 years old, I'll never forget, I was laying on the floor of my um, mom's and dad's bedroom. I would get scared at night sometimes, even at that age, and so I, I would sleep on the floor and my parents had, uh, were arguing. This is on the far side of numerous separations. And finally, um, my dad slammed the door. And I'll never forget, uh, he sort of screamed out, have a nice, insert expletive, life. And he was gone. My dad was gone. From that time on, um, our relationship was sort of relegated to weekly dinners, um, and kind of every other weekend sleepovers um, when my dad was feeling up to it, which often he wasn't. Fast forward a little bit, and in high school, um, you know, there's this thing that happens when you finally finish that treacherous part of our lives um, and lovely part of our lives. 18 years old, I was dressed in my cap and gown, and I went to a big high school in Portland, Oregon, so um, we were kind of in this old stadium, and I remember looking around, kind of scanning the faces in the audience, and I saw my mom, I saw my brother, I saw some of my mentors, but no matter how many times I sort of looked around, I didn't see my dad, and he wasn't there, and that was a super, super hard thing as a teenager, um, A lot of months went by after that before I heard from him and uh, my uh, dad had actually called my mom and asked if uh, she could talk to me and see if I'd be willing to go out for a meal with him. And so I agreed sort of reluctantly and we went out to a meal and we sat in this old diner and uh, I'll never forget, I kind of, you know, sat there like a little more 
refrained than I'm usually my like peppy self and just kind of like, what, okay, what's going to happen here? And um, what, what happened was probably one of the most important conversations I've ever had in my life. My dad uh, didn't have beautiful words. He didn't have um, resolution, but what he had was honesty. And he just sat there and he told me, I'm, I'm messed up and I'm really sorry. And he went on to explain to me more about the mental health struggles that he's had throughout my lifetime. He went on to explain um, when he had attempted to end his life a couple different times how impossible that must have felt for me. And as my dad is, is talking through these things, he would just sort of come back to this idea, I'm sorry, would you be willing to try again? And a young man, I said, of course, dad. Of course, I'll try again. We went to a park and uh, we played Frisbee in sort of this idyllic moment of my life, I would say. Um, and if you knew my dad, he, he, he's, uh, I actually, I have this trait from him, very bad with technology, like exceptionally bad. <laughs> like I'm with you gray-haired folks in the rooms. Um, some of you maybe are probably better than me, honestly. And, and he, so he, he went out of his way. I was getting ready to go at, at that point of my life on a year abroad before I, I went to college. And so I knew I'd be you know, physically very distant from my dad. And he went out of his way to get an email address so he could correspond with me. And, and he did. We emailed back and forth numerous times. Um, and, and though we were the most physically far apart throughout that time, that was the closest relationally that maybe I ever felt with him. Um, it was good. We had, we had some good years after that. Not perfect, but I began to accept kind of the limitations of what my dad could be to me. And um, my dad got to see me marry my beautiful wife. Um, but it wasn't long after that that um, I received a phone call. I was here at the church. Um, Jonathan was in our office and um, kind of there for me in this moment and uh, received a call that my dad was in the ICU. Had no idea why that could be. Um, turns out he'd gone in for a routine surgery and he didn't want me or anyone else to know. He just figured it would be fine. Well, there was very unlikely um, complications to that surgery that led to all of his major organs shutting down. And so I was told, your dad's here, it's not looking good. So that began the next three weeks of my life. I spent at my dad's bedside in the ICU um, before he really had no one else in his life. And so it was left on me to make what no kid should have to ever make, the impossible decision to let their dad go. And I share this with you as hard as it is because I know that my story is not, like un, is not unlike many of yours. Maybe not in all the particularities, but for all of us, regardless of our situation, we carry with us this father wound. Remember, I said it once before, I'll say it again, that even the best of fathers are broken vessels. And so we carry with us this pain. And it, it has implications for how we relate to God. See, I struggle to know God as my loving father, as someone who's there for me when I need him. 
the Father who anticipates my needs and my hopes and my dreams before I even have them. One who goes out of his way to guide me on the right path. Sorry, I'm having trouble seeing my notes. (laughs) A father who built trust with me, demonstrated commitment, such that when it came time to discipline me, I may not have liked it, but I knew that he had the best intentions in mind for me. I struggle with that. I have no idea what that's like. A father who is there willing me back when I mess up. Arms wide open, ready to receive me. Tell me it's okay. I struggle, friends. How about you? I know some of you struggle too. Because again, no matter how extreme our strained relationship with our earthly fathers is, we are all on a lifelong journey of recovering God's identity as our one, true, fully loving father. And friends, it's a hard journey. But it's one that starts and reminds us time and again of this all-important refrain from these first words of the Lord's Prayer. We are adopted by a loving father. We are chosen. You are here. I am here on purpose. That matters a lot. This week I asked my wife, Macy, why she thinks Jesus gave us the image of God as father and not mother or something else. And Macy's, she shoots straight. And she just goes, I think God knew that Fathers, we're gonna mess it up. Y'all needed a better model. Like, you're right. I'm convinced, y'all, that despite many contemporary opinions on this matter that are out there for sure, that the remedy for a bad father is not the removal of any father figure at all. It's, in fact, the gift of a finally good father. The Lord's prayer, friends, gives us that gift. Jesus could have given any number of descriptors for God, for how it is that we are to understand him, how it is that we are to pray to him. And hear me, I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that somehow father is elevated above mother, not by any stretch of the imagination. I was raised by a single mom. That woman's a saint. These are entirely equal in God's eyes. Rather, I think Father is chosen, at least in part, for its significance in the culture at the time. For ancient Israel, Father carried with it both a tenderness and a strength. It's personal and it's authoritative in a way that Gentile gods simply were not. See, Gentile gods at the time were impersonal. They were far off in the sky, sort of ruling over people. You had to make sacrifices and petitions to appease these gods. In this way, Jesus is attributing fatherhood to God in such a way that challenged those early hearers and maybe challenges us similarly to see God as both personal and authoritative in our lives. 
So contrary to contemporary understandings of fatherhood here in the West, the father is in fact meant to be responsible for the child. It's guardian, it's provider, it's head. This, Jesus says, is how we are to understand Yahweh. So for how many of you did your father in partnership with your mother take responsibility for you, guard you, shepherd you, provide for you, lead you? All fathers, even the best, are broken vessels and fall short of this. So to the extent that any one of these feels tarnished for you, it may in fact be difficult to encounter anyone, let alone God, in these ways. I'm gonna read a few excerpts from another man by the name of Donald Miller. Donald Miller is a theologian and author here from the Pacific Northwest, and he wrote a book titled um, "Growing," uh, excuse me, To Own a Dragon, Reflections on Growing Up Without a Father. So I'm gonna read a few slightly extended excerpts from this, but if you would just uh, listen as I read. It says, it's odd to be talking about this as an adult, but I've begun to process the consequences of growing up without a father. I've realized the incredible hole in my heart that this absence has left. If a kid grows up feeling they're burdening the people around them, they're going to operate as though the world doesn't want them. Because of this, I notice I pull out of conversation when it gets too personal. Despite the strongest of invitations to connect, I feel intrinsically that the other person will eventually be burdened by his or her relationship with me. I find myself doing a great job at small talk, trying to be charming and all, but when it comes time for a person to actually know me, I run for the hills. I wish my father and I had a friendship and that he would call once every couple weeks and tell me I was doing a good job. I hunger for this. I don't actually like thinking about this stuff, but I have a sense that wounds don't heal until you feel them. What I mean is I could lash out against the world for the rest of my life and never stop to do the hard work of asking why. Why am I angry or why do I feel pain? And then come to the difficult truth that the pain is there because I wanted to be loved, but I wasn't. I wanted to be guided, but I wasn't. And then honestly, to feel whatever it is that that hard truth creates and to respond in the way that I needed to. I've realized the incredible hole in my heart this absence has left. I wanted to be loved, but I wasn't. Is this true for you? In big ways or in small? Maybe not all the time. Like I said, I knew my dad loved me, but a lot of the time it didn't feel like it. So what about you? Do you need healing in this area? And if you do, I would invite you to this invitation. This is a series on prayer, after all. And Donald Miller, or we're gonna read another excerpt in a moment here. One of the ways that he found healing in this area was through prayer. So listen as I read. Because my mom made us go to church when we were kids, I've always been a person who prays. I don't understand why, but I've never had much of a problem talking to God. I haven't always liked reading the Bible or going to church, but I think from an early age, God kicked open the door to his office and made sure I knew I could barge in at any time. When I started feeling a lot of self-pity about not having a father, I started asking God, why? I don't like saying this, but my attitude at first was very accusatory. That is, I went to God saying, 
You shafted me. Why didn't I get a father to tell me he loved me, to teach me all this stuff? I don't think God got offended when I accused him. I think he was understanding. Praying those honest prayers led to a series of epiphanies that helped a great deal. Watching John interact with Chris, this is a friend of Donald Miller and and his son, I realized what I really wanted, what my soul was longing for, was belonging. By that I mean I wanted a father to take ownership of me, to care about me more than he cared about anything else in the world, or for that matter, anybody else in the world. I realized what I really wanted was belonging. Friends, what are the honest prayers that you need to pray to God? about your struggles, about your anger, your disappointment, your longings, your hopes. The good news is that no matter uh, what doubts or sort of distorted images that you may have of God as your father, he is waiting eagerly to receive your prayers, to have those hard conversations with you, such that through that, over time, you can begin to experience restoration. For me, I think it's in these longings or the shortcomings of my father that I've actually found my greatest yearnings for God. And in the the few, many times throughout my life that, that these encounters have happened with God in the midst of my longings, I've come to know that God, in fact, he is my good father. Not perfect, I still struggle, but I know it to be true. Let's go uh, hit pause for a second on Donald Miller's story. We're gonna come back to it in just a moment. Um, But we're gonna skip down to this next invitation, who is in heaven, God who is in heaven, and the invitation to understand ourselves as in God's kingdom, okay? So we talked about God being in heaven and how that can make it feel like God is somewhere other than where we are. So let's unpack that. What is the significance of God being in heaven? Well, this notion of um, God speaking from heaven directly to humanity only happens twice throughout all of scripture, that we really see the God in heaven speaking directly to humanity. It happens at the transfiguration. We heard Jonathan read that earlier. And it happens at Jesus' baptism, okay? And the words that God speaks to Jesus, but really to humanity on behalf of Jesus, are, 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 are astounding if we consider it in light of this notion of God as our father. What does he say in both instances? He says, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And now, there's two things we can draw from this, two important things. The first is this, that apparently above all others, the father wants us to know about his son, Jesus, how much we have in him. We have one, the belovedness of God, and two, the full pleasure of God. It's amazing. The treasures of heaven are made a reality here on earth in God's son, Jesus. So that Jesus' inclusion of us into his instruction for how we are to pray, saying our father passes this identity on to us. We too are his beloved children with whom God is well pleased. Isn't that amazing? Second, heaven is not meant to alienate us or distance us from God. Rather, in the transfiguration and in Jesus' baptism, heaven is made near to all of us in Christ. 
by virtue of our adoption into the family of God, through Christ, we too have heaven near to us, within us. Like the song that we sing here at Bethany often, heaven is all around. See, if we believe this to be true and allow ourselves to even just begin to receive it, what happens is that you and I become vessels for the full belovedness and pleasure of Christ in us. And we make heaven a reality here on earth as it is in heaven. Finally, let's go to this third point, holy is your name and the truth that we are being made whole. Ironically, holiness, although it does mean set apart, is not in fact intended to evoke the removal of one thing from another or to put something on a pedestal. Rather, holiness, H-O-L-Y, is the one ingredient that we all need to be made whole, W-H-O-L-E. It's the characteristic of God that sets him apart from humanity, giving us hope for a life restored apart from the sin and the brokenness that we all know too well. But it's not a distant sort of future hope alone. In Jesus, the holiness of God is made our own, doing a work in us to restore wholeness to our lives here and now. Now, this notion of, of, of being made whole, it doesn't happen all at once. Richard refers to this sort of amazing reality, uh, and I think it's something that sort of sets Bethany apart, this invitation to the understanding that the fullness of Christ dwells within us. So our lives are not about trying to earn bits of who Jesus is and bringing them a little bit more into our lives as we live up to the standards set for us. Rather, the fullness of Christ is within us. And much of our life is about peeling back the layers of muck that get in the way of that truth that's already a reality for you. I love this guy, Peter Kreeft, writes this little book called Prayer for Beginners. And uh, he puts it this way, becoming saints This is to become our true selves, becoming what God designed us to be. That is the ultimate purpose of prayer. Prayer does not exist for its own sake. It exists to transform us into saints. Friends, to become a saint is to become holy. To become holy is to become sanctified. To become sanctified is to be renewed, to be made whole day in and day out into the likeness of Christ the image in which you and I are all created. That's the invitation here. Let's return to Donald Miller uh, and, and see the conclusion to this bit of his story. He says this, I started thinking about God as father, wondering whether I really believed it. I'd always believed God was loving and kind. And as I said before, prayer came easily to me. But honestly, I had a more distant picture of God than that of father. The God in my imagination was terribly old, forgetful, not so much interacting with humanity as apathetically watching us work our jobs and mow our lawns. This idea of God fathering us was new to me. While I confess I liked it, I didn't know if I could buy in. But I liked the bit of hope. I liked the idea of God up in heaven offering guidance and counsel and reward in my life. I liked the idea I hadn't been completely abandoned. The idea became more appealing over time because if it were true, 
It meant I did belong, that all of us belonged, that we're here on purpose. And though some of us grow up without biological fathers, none of us grows up without our actual father. That is, if we have skin, if we have a heart that is beating and can touch and feel, then all of this is because God has decided that it would be so, because he wanted to include us in the story. Friends, God wants to include you in the story. Not as he found you, broken and maybe beat up a bit by the world, and not just to pity you and your longings, but he as our truly good father wants to make the fullness of heaven, Jesus Christ, alive in you and through you and around you. He wants to make you and me whole. Amen? Amen. Peter Kreeft says this one other thing. We must become, in fact, what we are by right. We must become holy gods. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Do you want to become holy gods? I do. And it's with that posture that we're gonna come to the Lord's table today. And as we do that, we invite the worship team back up and ushers, you're gonna come forward as well. Um, We're gonna kick it old school, communion style, if you will. Um, Pre-pandemic, we used to do this thing where we actually pass the stuff around. So we're gonna do that again. Um, And when we do, would like for you to respond in this way. Before you take of the cup, before you take of the bread, to pause and to pray through these three um, attributes of God. Consider the invitation attached to them. So pray with me, if you would, these things. Our Father, pause. Pray your honest prayers to God about that. In heaven, pray. And then, holy is your name. Pray. And in your honest prayers to God, and as we partake of communion, may we be reminded of that profound truth that the fullness of God's belovedness, of his pleasure, is in you. So let's unearth that a little bit as we take of his body, of his blood, broken and shed for you and for me. So it's in that posture that we come to the table now. Uh, Friends, if you would, Join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Lord, the words that we speak often are done in confidence that they're true and yet there feels distance between them and our own hearts. And, and you don't shame us for that. It grieves you, but you wanna make that right. So Lord, I just pray that uh, as we receive these elements today, that a simple drink of juice and a nasty cracker would remind us, God, that in fact, we have everything that we need. And I just pray that we would relax into your arms evermore as we begin to accept the reality that you, in fact, God, are our good father. We're adopted into your kingdom we're being made whole meet us now we pray in your name amen